1 Corinthians tonight. Uh, we should be able to make it through this chapter. Uh, some of my most wonderful, loyal supporters admitted that 1 Corinthians has been pretty dry. So if you're dry, I'm real sorry. I will do my best here tonight. But uh, no, it's, it wasn't like that. It wasn't said like that. I'm taking it out of context and kind of being mischievous with it. But, uh, but we are almost done here with 1 Corinthians. And what I'm going to do is um, I'm going to start up a, a Revelation on Wednesday nights. But that won't be starting for a couple more weeks. I want to get through book two of Revelation, of Psalms. Get through book two of Psalms. And then we'll be about halfway through the book of Psalms. So uh, we're going to hit the pause button on Psalms on Wednesdays, and we'll start, um, we'll go through 2 Corinthians on Wednesday nights. 2 Corinthians has a very big change of pace from 1 Corinthians, and uh, so I, I, I enjoy it, and obviously teaching it to church is going to be uh, fun. It'll be even a little bit different. I know I just taught it in the Institute, but it's not going to be exactly the same. I know a couple of you are in the Institute, and like, oh, great, don't worry, it won't come out the same, I, I, I promise, so... Um, I'm looking forward to that. It'll be, uh, I think it'll be a help and a blessing to you. And then uh, we're going to start Revelation uh, on Sunday nights. So I'm going to go through the book of Revelation, just teaching. We'll go verse by verse. And uh, I'm actually looking forward to that. So uh, let's go ahead and jump in here. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Uh, let's pray and then we'll just start going verse by verse. And uh, with the Lord's help, we'll get her done tonight. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for the privilege it is to be back here tonight. Um, Lord, I was uh, just... It's strange, but just looking forward to being back in church tonight. It's just good to be home, good to be with my church family. Uh, thank you for these people. Thank you for the love that I feel here. Uh, love for you, love for one another. God, I pray you'd protect that. I pray you'd help me and give me the wisdom to protect it. And I pray, Father, you'd just uh, uh, bind this church together even more. Thank you for the visitors that came this morning. I pray that they would feel uh, welcome, that the Holy Spirit of God would uh, continue to work on their hearts and minds maybe from something they heard uh, this morning from the Word of God, from the church we have here. I pray that they'd come back, Father, and I pray that you would just continue, Father, to bless this church as you see fit. Uh, Lord, I pray you'd bless us financially as you see fit. I pray you'd bless us uh, as far as numeric growth as you see fit. God, help us to be uh, just exactly what you want us to be, but more importantly than finances or numeric growth, God, I pray you'd help us to grow spiritually. Uh, I want to be uh, more of a conduit for you than I've ever been. Please work on me with that. Help me to be able to be your man with your message. Help me to stay faithful to this book. Help me to feed your people. Speak to our hearts, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, verse number one. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of the Gentiles, even so do ye. Now, what a weird switch. Because uh, he just went through chapter 15 and I show you a mystery we should not all sleep and talks about the rapture and all the rest of that stuff. And then all of a sudden in chapter 16, verse number one, he goes from something so wonderful uh, talking about the new body and, and, and the glorified body. And he goes from all this super lofty spiritual stuff that's just mind boggling and mind stretching and wonderful to think about. And then just like, I mean, punches him right in the gut. <laughs> He goes from the super spiritual, think about it, your glorified body, to, all right, now i got to talk about something else. Uh, now we're going to talk about your money. Uh, I'll tell you what I take away from that. Uh, lofty spiritual things aren't any good if they don't impact the practical. You see, a lot of people like to get all stuck on the lofty spiritual things and the big questions and the crazy stuff and, you know, time travel and time warps and, you know, all the rest of these crazy, weird doctrines that are just way out there in left field. 
And, and most of the motivation for that stuff is clickbait. It's not really trying to feed the sheep. Uh, I, I will tell you this. I don't believe that just like, you know, dwelling in the meats establishes the heart, right? The heart's established with grace. So in order for us to be the right kind of church and to be properly balanced, in order for you to be the right kind of Christian to be properly balanced, you do need to be in your Bible. You do need to grow in your doctrine. You do need to learn things about the Word of God you didn't know before. You need to get interested in your Bible. The Bible's interesting. You need to get interested in it. Uh, you need to dig down and study some of these crazier things. That's fine. But, but you better not be doing that at the expense of the practical, at the expense of your daily life, at the expense of your spirit. Uh, you know, talking to a friend of mine recently, and he said another guy had told him that he thinks the problem in churches is that, you know, Bible-believing churches is that people get fed so good that they get to where, you know, they just, they start causing trouble because they're overfed. They're fed too good. And, and my counter to that was this. First of all, I don't believe you can feed people too good. How can you feed somebody too good, too healthy? Um, I, I think the problem is not feeding them too good. The problem is failing to make the practical application to their daily life. That's the issue. So you, when you feed people good, that's fine. But you can't forget while you're giving them all those sound doctrines and all those lofty doctrines, you can't forget to dig right down in there and get at the spirit. Get at your heart. Get at your mindset. Get at your motives. Get at your self-righteousness. Get at the fact that just because you know more Bible than somebody else does not mean you're more spiritual than them. Let me say that again. Just because you know more Bible than somebody else does not mean you're more spiritual than they are. You know, there's some very, very spiritual people that love God that don't have the truth that we have. So I'm talking about making the, the, the practical real. And Paul does that in this verse. Now, he says, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I've given order to the churches. I don't like that. Paul, in other words, Paul said, I have ordered... The churches, I've preached straight to the churches and I've told them exactly what they're to do about their money. You know, I had somebody tell me a long time ago, a long time ago, so they're not even around anymore. You know what they told me? You know what I love about this church? What? You don't care about the money. Okay. Look, we don't have to give to come here. I love that. I don't, I don't, I don't have to give. Is that all you got out of the preaching? <laughs> I mean, to say I, I'm thankful for a pastor that's not after our money is one thing, but the spirit with which this guy said it, he made it absolutely clear that he doesn't do a thing to participate financially in what's going on around here. That, to me, was like, oh, that's what you love about it. So how about I start preaching on tithing and then see if you still love this church? <laughs> Paul says, now concerning the collections, I've given an order. Don't give it, tell me what to do. Look at verse 2. Upon the first day of the week, all right, so stop right there. Obviously, they're not Seventh-day Adventists. They weren't meeting on Saturday. They're meeting on Sunday in the local church in the New Testament. You know why? Christ rose on Sunday. So you've heard a lot of silly preaching over the years. You know, you remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And you shouldn't go to a restaurant on Sunday. And you shouldn't go shopping on Sunday. And it's the Lord's day. It's the Sabbath day. No, it ain't the Sabbath day. What are you talking about? There's nothing wrong with you going out to eat between services if that's what you want to do. Well, you shouldn't work on Sunday. Okay, well, I believe you should be in church on Sunday. I believe you should do everything you can to be in church on Sunday. I think it's an important day. 
I think you ought to be faithful to be here. I'm, I, I commend you for coming back tonight. I think that pleases God, and I think you'll get more help going down the road. I mean, the Bible tells you in Hebrews, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Uh, I don't think we should be going to church less. I think we should be going to church more in these days. And I'm glad you're here, and I think you should be here. I think it's an important thing. I think it will impact your walk with Jesus Christ. It will impact the decisions you make, and it will impact how your life does or doesn't turn out, your dedication to being here. And you do have the time to come to church. Okay? I just I want to come more, but I'm just so busy. Well, if you're too busy to get in church, you're too busy. You have the time. Uh, check your phone and see how much time you spent on it this week. Yeah, that'll, that'll wake you up. So you got the time, and it's important. But you got to realize it's nothing to do with the Sabbath. If it's on the first day of the week, he said, Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as the Lord hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. So there's your commandment. Now, here's the debate. The debate is, do we have to tithe in the New Testament? Do we have to give 10%? Well, tithing is under the law. And under the law, you have to tithe, but you don't have to tithe in the New Testament. Now, there is no New Testament commandment to tithe, just so you know. But here's the counter to that argument. The counter to that argument is Abraham and Jacob both tithed before the law. So they say, well, that was under the law. Well, Abraham voluntarily gave 10%. God never said, thou shalt give me 10% or I'm going to slit your throat. Abraham voluntarily gave 10, voluntarily gave 10%. Jacob gave, they gave a tithe before the law. When you go and you look at the law and you add up all the different offerings God told them they were to give, they gave more than a tithe under the law. In the New Testament, you're not told that you got to do that. So in other words, if you don't want to give 10%, don't. I'll tell you this much. I've watched for years people say, well, as soon as I have it, I'm going to give it. No, they don't. No, you won't. Well, we'd like to tithe, but we can't. You know, we can't afford it. Okay, that's fine. I'm not trying to put a burden on you that uh, is unrealistic. I'm not trying to say if you can't buy food for your kids that you still ought to be giving God 10%. If you're behind on your DTE bill that you still ought to be tithing. You know, I mean, that's stealing from DTE to give to God. That doesn't make a ton of sense to me. You follow me? But I am talking about people that, you know, always have the situation where they can never afford it. Well, I'll give when I can afford it. I'll say this, my testimony and the testimony of dozens, if not hundreds of other Christians, I mean, that I know and have talked to. It's shocking what God does when you're faithful to try to do what God would have you to do. When you're faithful to be a part of it. It's shocking what God does. How God takes care of you. Let me show you proof. You got, a, you got a real good promise in the Bible. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter number 9. Look at verse 6. This is talking about money, all right? We'll, we'll get to this uh, soon as we go through 2 Corinthians, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it here, but watch this. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. See how you're supposed to do it? According as what? Yeah, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. Not grudgingly, nor of necessity. Got to give 10%. Because that means nothing to God. It says, for God loveth a... God loveth. A cheerful giver. You want God to love you? That's an extra portion of love. Doesn't God love us all? Didn't God so love the world? Doesn't he love his children? You want to be a kid that God loves even more? 
be a giving person. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave. Giving is associated with love. So if you love the Lord, you'll give to him. You, I love my church. Okay, then you'll support it. I love missions. Then you'll support them. I love God. Then you'll give to them. Not just your money, your heart, your mind, your soul, your life, your time, your will. You'll give to them. See, giving is associated with love. And he said how he wants you to give in the New Testament is not under necessity, not under pressure, not under the exacting of a tithe, but cheerfully as you purpose in your heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. Then look at verse number eight. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you. That ye having all sufficiency in all things may abound unto every good work. He says, if you give, God will give back to you. Now, that's not a charismatic thing. That's 2 Corinthians 9. Brother Lynch used to say this. He used to say, I can still see him doing it. He said, I pull it out of this pocket and I give it. And I put my hand in over here and I'm like, where'd that come from? And I give it. And I go in here to grab my pen and I'm like, where'd that come from? And I give it. And I go over here to grab my wallet and I'm like, where'd that come from? And I give it. He said, that's how it works. And boy, it's true. You ever sit back and get jealous of somebody? Because they got more stuff in the world than you got. Man, it got really stiff right there. You ever get jealous of somebody because they have more than you have? And well, if I had their money, I'd... Yeah, well, maybe they give more than you do. Maybe they set a habit of giving more than you have. So then God makes a way for them to keep giving because God knows if he gives to them, they're going to do what they're supposed to do with it. Do you ever stop and think about that? Well, those rich people, yeah, well, maybe they're rich because they're not stingy like you. Now, I know, I know this is bad because you're supposed to preach at the rich people and, you know, pamper the poor, right? But you ever notice that? You ever, you ever get around some poor people that got some class? Some character? You know what I know about that? Whoa, that was close. Do you see that? You know what I know about that? When they got class and character... Either they've had some unfortunate things happen or they're not going to stay where they're at. You ever get around some rich people that have class and character too? You ever get around poor people that got a real attitude about being poor? They know, you know that stinks? That heart on oh, those rich people, you got the problem you think that they have. Does that, does that click? You got the problem you think they have. Well, if I was rich like that, yeah, well, you're not going to be with that attitude, not getting it by God. Do you ever notice God does bless people financially? Do you know why I pray that God gives you all raises? I pray, I pray he blesses your businesses, your jobs. Why? Because I don't think it's wrong to be blessed to God. I don't think it's wrong to have money. I think it's wrong to be stingy once you got it. You know what I knew about that guy? So what I love about this place is you don't have to give. You don't care about the money. You don't have to give when you come here. You know what I knew? Right? I knew, first of all, he wouldn't make it because he don't love nothing but himself. And I was right. And I knew, secondly, he don't give, give it all to help support the thing. You know what aggravates me about that? What aggravates me is I don't look at the giving list and I don't plan on it. I think I'm doing the right thing not to. But don't you dare show up and vote at a church business meeting if you don't give. I mean, between you and God, you're a stinking crook. You got no say. You got no say so. Now, if you make twenty thousand dollars a year and you give two thousand a year, and somebody else makes two hundred thousand a year and they give ten thousand a year, your vote ought to count more than theirs. You see? You see how the thing is? You see how money is? It's tricky. Go back to First Corinthians sixteen. He says that you're to give. Uh, in, in preparation, on purpose, he said to lay it by, have him lay by in stores. God hath prospered him. 
that there will be no gatherings when I come. So you're supposed to give as God prospers you. You're supposed to give cheerfully and you're supposed to give as you purpose in your heart. Those are the rules in the New Testament. Has God been good to you? Yes. Okay, then give according to that. Do you want to give? Okay, then give according to that. Are you happy to give? Then give according to that. That's how you give in the New Testament. So for me, I'll just say for me, when I look at my Bible and I notice that before the law, a man cheerfully, voluntarily, as he purposed in his heart when God prospered him, gave 10% of everything he got. Just like that. That to me is something God noticed. And God said, see what he did? Put that down in the eternal word because I want them getting it 400,000 years from now. I want them getting the point of what you just did. When under the law, they're supposed to give even more than that. And then in the New Testament, I see him giving to excess. I figure for me, 10% is a minimum. That's my standard. That's my conviction because of the biblical example. But that is not a burden put on you or a rule or a law put on you that you have to give 10% of your income or you're not right with God. Now, I know a lot of the brethren think I'm a complete heretic for teaching you what I just taught you. But the fact of the matter is you're not obligated to give 10%. I would rather you give 5% cheerfully on purpose because you want to give it and you're happy about giving it between you and God giving 5% than to give 10% the wrong way because you get nothing for it when you get before God. And my job ain't to make sure that the church is hitting its budget. My job is to help you be ready to see him. See that? All right, go to verse number three. And when I come, whomsoever ye shall approve by your letters, then will I send to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. So notice in that verse, what jumped out is me. He says, when I come, whosoever ye shall approve by your letters. You know, your personal testimony in church matters. And Paul's saying, when I show up, if the church says, hey, this guy's a good guy, that guy's a good guy, that guy's a good guy. If he's got a good testimony, then I'm going to accept him based on your testimony about that individual in your local church. That's important. What I like about it is Paul wasn't worried about personality types. He wasn't worried about whether or not he liked the guy personally. He was worried about testimony and character. And he said, whosoever, when I come, whosoever ye shall approve by your letters, then will I send to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. Hey, is this a good guy? Yeah, he's a good guy. Great testimony. Been here a long time. Yeah, oh yeah, we all, we all agree. We all approve. Okay, then send him on. You see how that works? You realize the importance of a local New Testament church? The importance of your testimony? That's why it's important when I'm not here for you to show up. You know why it's important for you to show up? Because you're being a testimony to each other. You're being a testimony and encouragement to me. You're you're establishing your testimony. I hear people all the time. I mean, all the time and not even just from our church. Like, man, when preacher's gone, people don't show up. And boy, it bothers me. Like, where were they? How come they didn't come when the preacher? We should be in church no matter what. And listen, you shouldn't just listen to me clearly. You shouldn't just come to church to, quote, support your church. You shouldn't just come to church to support the younger preachers that are still getting some experience. You should come to church because you want to be in church because that's where God would have you to be and come with an attitude of God, please speak to my heart. Give me something out of the word of God, not patronizingly like, you know, supporting the young guys, but coming to get something from God. That should be the heart attitude because you want to be in church. Your testimony will have an impact. And when God's looking for somebody to step up into the place, God will pick you. Look at verse four. And if it be meet that I go also, they shall go with me. What a privilege, man. Wouldn't that be great to get tagged to travel with Paul? All because your church, your testimony, because your church testimony, because your reputation among the brethren. 
a faithful person in a local church. Just a, There's no names there. There's no title there. All you are is just sitting in a pew, being faithful to God with a good testimony, and then God's looking for somebody to travel with Paul, and he said, hey, here's how this thing might fall out. Look at verse number 5. Now I will come unto you when I shall pass through Macedonia, for I do pass through Macedonia, and it may be that I will abide, yea, and winter with you, that you may bring me on my journey whithersoever I go. For I will not see you now by the way, but I trust to tarry a while with you if the Lord permit. But I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost. All right, so what Paul's doing is he's giving him his travel itinerary. He's planning to go up to Macedonia, probably to the churches in Philippi and Thessalonica. Then he's going to come to Corinth and pick up the offering. And he's going to stay with them through the winter because the Mediterranean area, it's, it's real bad traveling in winter. So he's going to stay with them throughout the winter. And then he's going to go on and, and be, continue his travel. So that would put verse 8 more than likely dates you somewhere between Acts 18 and Acts 20, if you're interested in that kind of thing. That tells you where, where this thing would be at. And that was Paul's plans. So you're going to notice Paul's got a travel itinerary. Now watch what I find interesting. Verse 9. For a great door and effectual is opened unto me, and there be many adversaries. Paul's saying this. He said, listen, here's my plans in traveling. Here's what I think I'm going to do. This is really practical. What Paul's saying is, I'm not going to try to travel through that area during a bad time because the weather's bad. It's tough traveling that route at that time. So here's tentatively what I'm going to do. Here's my plans. Paul's not tempting fate. Paul's not trying to, to push it and make it happen. He's being very practical about his plans. And honestly, I know that might seem like overly simplistic to you, but that jumped out at me. He just got done giving us these amazing advanced revelations of, of a mystery that God gave him and the rapture and the glorified body and all this cool stuff. And then when you look at Paul in his real personal practical life, he's not this like ultra super spiritual. He's saying, listen, here's the tentative plan and I'm not traveling that route at that time of the year. I'm going to wait and I'm probably stay with you and tarry with you if I can until such and such a time. And here's the, what I'm going to try to do. And when I get there, make sure you got the offering taken up so there's ready for me to be ready to go. And if I need some help, I want you to pick out the guys so they're ready to roll with me. And he's being utterly practical about his life. I, I remember the old preacher saying, saying that uh, uh, if it don't make sense, God ain't in it. Brother Lynch told us that, and he heard it from some other preacher. I don't remember. I think he said Harold Seitler. I'm not, I'm not sure, but some of the old preachers saying, if it don't make sense, God ain't in it. You know, a lot of people get so weirdly super spiritual, they stop making any sense at all. Don't forget that although we are supposed to be spiritual people. We're supposed to walk with God. We're supposed to be serious about our walk with Jesus Christ. We're supposed to be willing to make whatever sacrifice God would have us to make, even if that means you pack up your belongings and you move halfway around the world and you sell a beautiful house to move into a mud hut somewhere. If that's what God wants you to do, you're supposed to be willing to do that. Now, how practical is that? It's not. It's crazy, right? But at the exact same time, although we're supposed to be willing and ready to do that if God calls us to do it, don't ever get so super spiritual you stop making sense and being practical about your life. Reality is reality. And Paul himself was captive to reality. He said, I'm not going to travel at that time because it's a bad place to be trying to travel in winter. So I'm going to hunker down with you guys and I'm going to wait. And verse number 9, in spite of the fact that Things are very practical as he's leading up to this. He says, for a great door and effectual is opened unto me. He's like, man, God is opening doors for me to preach. 
And, and, and it's a great door. And it's not just a great, but there's effectiveness to what I'm doing. I mean, when I'm going into town and I'm preaching, things are happening. That Bible's real. It's working. Uh, things are getting done. It's amazing to watch God line it up. It's shocking to me to see what God is doing and, and the effectiveness of the message and the effectiveness of the ministry God's called me to. It's going somewhere. A great door and effectual is opened unto me. And boy, that's exciting, ain't it? Man, I want to see God use me. I want, I want to preach the word of God. I want to preach it with power. And that's not something a man can do. It's God either does it or he doesn't do it. I, I don't want to be in God's way. I like to see God opening up doors. I love to see and think about and reminisce on the stories of how so many of you wound up here. What God was doing. And it's some stories God was doing 10, 12, 15 years ago. And you just wait and but 12 years later, wow, God was working. That's an open door, man. That's a blessing to see. It's wonderful. To watch God do what God's doing is great. But notice the second half of that verse. We went right from something major, divine, and wonderful, and lofty, and spiritual, a great door, and effectual is open unto me, and right back down into the mud of the practical. But there be many adversaries. And boy, I'm telling you, man, when God starts working and when God starts moving, resistance shows up, man. It's part of it. You got to get to a point where you accept the resistance. Where you begin to realize that Resistance is part of the deal, and the reason you're getting resistance is because you're doing the right thing. You've got to try to get to a point where it doesn't bother you as much that there's resistance. <laughs> and that's tough. Watch how that plays into the next verse. Now, if Timotheus come, see that he may be with you without fear, for he worketh the work of the Lord, as I also do. Let no man therefore despise him, but conduct him forth in peace, that he may come unto me, for I look for him with the brethren. What he said right there is Timothy's younger, okay? Timothy's tender. And as a result of his youth in the ministry, he has, he has a little more fear than Paul has. And honestly, that, that really is a part of it. Um, there kind of comes a point where, I don't know, you ever, we talk about young people being stupid and not being afraid of anything, right? And there's a piece of that that's true. But, but they get a little more shook up than people that have been around for a while. Uh, I don't know how you were. Probably some of you, like me, when I was real young, uh, newly married, I stressed the bills. I mean, I, I stressed it like I, I can't even put into words how much I stressed it. It was just the pressure of the bills was <clears throat> just all over me. <clears throat> when I first started in the ministry... Uh, I, I had a lot of fear. There was always adversaries showing up because God had opened up a door and God was doing something. God was providing. God was working pretty miraculously for a little storefront church. And man, that, that was exciting to me. It was a great door and effectual. But the adversaries were showing up and showing up and showing up and showing up and showing up, man. This isn't directed towards anybody particularly because there was more than one instance where people were coming in and, and coming to help help this young guy start this church, you know, help this ministry get off the ground. And, and I had a weird feeling. And, and it, it, was a, it was a bit of a power struggle. It was, a, it was definitely locking horns. You understand what I'm saying? It was a battle over the direction the church was going to go. And there was a huge vacancy in the music. <clears throat> and so there was people to fill that vacancy. And it was like, well, we'll fill the vacancy, but we got some leverage. Because you need us bad, and we know you need us. 
And so we'll do this, but the music's going to go the direction we want it to go, not the direction you think it should go because you don't know anything about music. You just preach and let us handle the music. It was that kind of stuff, and not just one person. So that, again, this isn't, this, is, this isn't aimed at somebody. It was more than one person. It was an area the devil kept attacking on. Uh, it, it was a strange thing. It, it was strange to watch the amount of people, power struggling for who was going to be the, the leader of the women. My wife was 25 years old. She was 25. Can you imagine that? Wow. She was 25 when I started the church. So who's going to be doing the ladies' Bible studies? You know, well, honey, you know, older women are supposed to teach the younger. You know, well, you just wait till your kids are my kids' age. You know, I get that now. I understand what they were saying a little bit more now. But the, but the spirit of it was off. It was a struggle over who was going to run the show and what direction the church was going to go. When I'm told by more than one person, and they're not even in cahoots, over a different period of time, you're the preacher, you go ahead and preach, we like your preaching, we like the way you teach the Bible, you take care of that, you let us handle the music, and you watch this church grow. You know what starts to happen after a little while? After a little while, you get a little jumpy. You get a little afraid that everybody's trying to take it because I've got to answer to God. You understand that? I'd rather sing a cappella than have the thing start going a direction God don't want it to go. I'm going to answer to God for that. That scares me. And so that, that fear, especially in a younger preacher, really builds up. You know, it's hard to stand in front of people and talk. It, it ain't easy. Even if it's your gift or your calling or whatever, even if you like it and you want to be that, it's hard to get up here and talk. You know, you, know, you can't help it but to wind up saying some things wrong. Somebody's going to catch you where you're off on something. You, you do understand that, right? And I mean, people that have been saved a long time, in their Bibles a long time, it's like, hey, I <laughs> got you. Man, that's tough to deal with. The fear can begin, to, can, be, can begin to build up. And that's common in a younger preacher. Go to 1 Timothy chapter number 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, please. Look at verse 12. He tells, Paul tells Timothy, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word and conversation and charity and spirit and faith and in purity. Why does he tell him that? Well, in verse number 11, he says, Let no man therefore despise him. You know what they do? They despise his youth. They're recognizing they're older. They've been around longer. They've been through things he hasn't been through yet. But God called Timothy. And if God called him and he's properly in his place behind Paul and he's learning and he's growing and he's laboring, he's working the work of the Lord as Paul did, he's, he's doing what he's supposed to be doing, well, then back him up. He said, let no man despise him. So Timothy obviously didn't have that assertive, strong personality that a more experienced preacher would have. Timothy obviously didn't have the leadership skills and the powerful presence, even though he said my bodily presence is weak and speech contemptible. Paul still had a powerful presence, his background, his history, how God was using him, who he was. People were respecting Paul more than they were respecting Timothy. Even though he was a little guy with a very weak presence, they respected his testimony, his position, his, his ministry, what God was doing with him, but they obviously weren't respecting Timothy. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. You know, that's a bad spot to be in when you're a pastor and you're trying to do what God wants you to do, but the people don't respect you. You know what that does? It puts more fear in you. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love 
and of a sound mind. You know what Paul had to tell Timothy? If Timotheus come, back to 1 Corinthians 16, now if Timotheus come, see that he may be with you without fear. He was telling him, hey, listen, I want you guys to support Timothy. I want you guys to encourage Timothy. He's doing the work of God. He's called to God to do it. Back him up. You know, it's a blessing to have a church that backs me up. And I don't, I don't have the fear problem as much anymore. Uh, I've learned the hard way. I, I hate to say that, but I've learned the hard way. I've felt like, man, when that guy gets mad and leaves, we are going to be in a mess because we're not going to be able to pay the bills. And I have just seen God over the years. I mean, it's been 15 years now. I've seen God almost 15 years. I've been pastoring for over 15 years at this point. But uh, 15 years almost here, I've seen God over and over again take care of the need every single time. It's God that does it. I hate to say this, but we're all replaceable. Every one of you. And honestly, I look at certain individuals and I go, God, if, if they ever go, if he ever goes, how in the world would I ever be able to replace that? But I'm telling you, that's my heart towards some of you, okay? Amen. That's a good heart. I, that, I'm not saying I have a good heart. I'm saying that's a good attitude for me to have. That's a great way for a pastor to feel toward. That means you've made yourself invaluable to me is what I'm trying to say. Is that making sense? <laughs> okay, anyways. But what I know for a fact is that when God's in it, God, God, will, God will take care of it. Every time, God takes care of it. In other words, if something happens to me, and God forbid, I don't, I don't plan on dying, but you never know. You know what this church should do? Stick together. Keep coming. And watch God replace me. Why? Because none of us are as important as we think we are. But God does watch how a church treats the preacher. And Paul is instructing this church, accept this kid. He's my son in the faith. And I love him. And he's a little, he gets a little intimidated. He gets a little afraid. So I'm, I'm working with him on that. And I'm instructing him not to be that way. But you all make sure you back him up and give him some courage. You know what God told Joshua? Be strong and have a good courage. Fear not, nor be dismayed. You know what's a common thing for all of us? It's fear. Talking about the younger preacher in this context, because that's the exact context. But you know what's funny to me? Uh, as people get older, you may go through a period of your life where you kind of, get control of some of that. But you know what I've noticed as people get older? Fears come back. Any of you remember being a little kid? I remember being a little kid when my dad would be out late, these dark winter nights, cold up in Michigan. We had uh, the neighborhood we were in, the uh, I don't know, iron coffins or something like that. A motorcycle gang had started cruising through our neighborhood here and there. And I remember seeing them boys go by. Man, them Harleys always made my adrenaline run. And nothing was cooler than them tough guy gangster looking, you know what I mean? It was cool. But man, when my dad wouldn't be home late at night, it was just mom. I remember being scared, man. Until dad walked in. Then, you know, my hero was there and everything was fine. I could sleep like a baby. I'm talking about fear. Now you get to a point in your life as you grow up that you don't quite have quite as much because you just kind of know things work themselves out and everything's okay. You know what's so strange? A thing seems to circle around. Older people get fear back. So he's saying, hey, encourage him and make sure he's not afraid. Look at verse 12. That's touching our brother Apollos. So now he moves from Paul to Apollos. Totally different personality. I greatly desired him to come unto you with the brethren, but his will was not at all to come at this time. But he will come when he shall have convenient time. 
Now, that's an interesting verse because you see in that verse that there's no religious hierarchy. Paul was saying, hey, listen, Apollos, I want you to come. And Paul is like, nah, I don't want to go. And Paul's like, all right, you don't want to go, don't go, but you need to get over there when you can. You see, that, that, that's kind of a blessing to me. You see these religious structures in the Catholic Church and a lot of these other places where you got the grand poobah who tells everybody else what to do. That ain't biblical. You didn't see that structure among the apostles. Now, now here's the thing that I want to say, and I was thinking about this. I want to say it the right way. You've seen my deference to and respect for my pastor. I'm not a member of his church, and I never have been, but I told him he's my pastor. He's not the pastor's pastor. It's not like you're my pastor because I'm a pastor. You're the pastor's pastor. It's my, that, he's my pastor. There, there's nobody else that pastors me. And, and I'm grateful for that. I need that. But guess what? He doesn't sit around and, like the grand poobah, try to tell me what I need to be doing in my church and where I should and shouldn't go. And if I want to know whether or not I should go somewhere, I've got to press him for his opinion on it. Because he's not running the thing unscripturally. But I'm grateful for an older man. I'm grateful for somebody I can call and get his opinion. I'm grateful for somebody I can defer to. I'm grateful for somebody that I believe knows more about all this stuff than I do and has good advice and my best intentions, my best, uh, 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 my, my best my benefit, my, my best future, however I'm trying to say that, in his mind. I'm grateful for that. But he ain't, he ain't sitting around like the grand ball, no matter what people might think. You see guys giving him respect, they give him respect because they voluntarily give that to him because of the sacrifice he's made to help him, not because he's trying to sit around and tell everybody what to do and how to do it where to go and what to do in their local churches. And he doesn't, he doesn't walk in his phrase and straighten everybody's pictures. In other words, he goes places where they don't do things exactly like he would or even the way he would agree with, but he leaves it alone because he's just trying to help them. He's trying to give them what they need. He's trying to give them what they're ready for. And I'm grateful for that. That's the right thing. It's good to have that kind of leadership. I'm thankful for it. And, and he's going to be my pastor as long as the Lord leaves him in my life. And when he's gone, I guess I won't have anybody. I figure God will leave him until I'm ready. But Paul had this relationship with these guys, but he wasn't micromanaging them. He wasn't controlling them. That's a blessing. All right, let's keep going here. We're almost done. Look at verse 13. Watch ye. Stand fast in the faith. Quit ye like men. Be strong. Verse 14, let all things be done with charity. So he gives you five commandments there. The first commandment is to watch. You're told to watch for the return of Jesus Christ in Titus 2.12. You're told to watch for wolves in Acts chapter 20. And you're told to watch in prayer in 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 7. I like wolves. I like to study wolves. I feel guilty liking wolves. But you know what else I like to do? I like to watch for wolves among the sheep. I think you should too. I think if you love your church and you care about this thing, you know what I like about this place? I like the fact that we got a bunch of really strong men here. Uh, you're quiet, which could be deceptive to people that are immature and don't know how to judge it. But I realize you're strong. And I realize you got some good judgment. And I feel like God's done that. And I think he's done a phenomenal job of it. And I like it. It's strange that you're so quiet, as loud as I am, and you still support me, and I still am loud, but you're not. 
And I, but I like the strength. I like the depth. Now, I don't have to stay quiet. You can shout amen, all that stuff. I'm good with it, all right? I like it. You might get me a little fired up. But I'm just saying, you're not loudmouth. You're not showing out. You're not trying to, you know, strut around and everybody. I like the quiet strength that I know God's put here. And it's a blessing to me. And I like the fact that you got a little, you, some of you got spidey senses. When I'm gone, I don't worry. I literally don't worry. I, 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 this is this, this time this year, I was gone longer than I normally am, and I'll keep that stuff to a minimum. But man, I, I, didn't, I didn't worry at all. That's a blessing. You know why I feel that way? Because I feel like there's some men back here who watch. I feel like if somebody comes in and starts trying to cause trouble, they're not going to have a very good time of it. <laughs> good luck. It's kind of like when you, when you trust your wife. That makes sense? Yeah. Well, brother, you shouldn't let her work in the work world because, you know, nowadays, men, <laughs> good luck. Good luck, man. You, you, you approach her the wrong way and she will cut your stinking throat. You know why? Because she loves God and she loves me. But first, because she loves God and she's smart. She's real smart. And she's got common sense on top of that. That's hard to find both. And she's got both. And did I mention she loves God and loves me? See what I'm saying? The heart of it, her husband does safely trust in her so that he has no need to spoil. Now, now somebody approach her like that, and I know she'll take care of him, but I, I will too when I get my chance. I won't forget. I won't forget. And I won't go to jail either. Catch me if you can. You understand what I'm saying? A couple hundred gallons of battery acid or however this, you know, it works. But, but, but do you understand the point that I'm making? You know, the same thing is true with a good church. I don't have to worry. Why? Because you're watching. So I'm encouraging you, keep watching. You know, I want to watch my own life. I want to watch my behavior toward my wife. I want to watch my behavior toward my children. I want to look and see what I'm doing that pleases God and what doesn't. I'm looking for wolves. I'm looking for wolves, not just human being wolves that try to come in among the flock and tear up the church. I'm looking for wolves of sin in my life. I'd like to eventually, if anybody knows where I can get one, let me know. I'd like to get a wolf skin. That'd be pretty cool. Wouldn't that be good in a pastor's office, a wolf skin hanging on the wall? Yeah, that's what we do. That's, that's the calling right there. It's a big part of what I do right there. You know? Like, you know, a troublemaker comes in the church, come on into my office. I put the wolf skin right behind me hanging from the ceiling. You know, it's just special hooks. We move it when I think we got a troublemaker in the church. That's what happens, you know. Been checking your hide out, man. That'd be all right. We can skin that one up good. That's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to watch. Stand fast in the faith. Now, you can run the references on this. You're told to stand. Stand against the wiles of the devil. Stand as far as strong doctrine is concerned, not blown to and fro by every wind of doctrine. You're supposed to stand. You're supposed to get where you're supposed to be and stay there. You cannot underestimate faithfulness. It cannot be underestimated. I feel like we've spent so many years in churches pushing people to do, do, do rather than just be that we messed up their minds and hearts. They feel like if they're not do, do, doing that they're not pleasing God, but you're not commanded to be do, do, doing all the time. You should be standing and faithfully standing over the long haul, giving your family time to grow, giving yourself time to grow, and then let God bring you the things to do because he will if you're looking for something to do. He'll probably bring some of you something to do tomorrow morning when you get to work. And somebody says, hey, what'd you do this weekend? 
I need to be doing something for God. He'll probably bring you something if you're standing like you should and watching like you should. God will use you. That's what I'm trying to say. But the primary thing is not God using me. The primary thing is watching and standing like I'm supposed to be. Quit you like men. That doesn't mean to be quit, to, to quit like we would use it. That means to do your part, to behave yourself, and to bear yourself. It means to act like a man. You know what a real man does? He goes to work and takes care of his family. A real man does what he's supposed to do regardless of how he feels about it. You're supposed to love your wife. I don't feel like it. You're not always going to feel like it, but you're supposed to do it anyways. Why? Because you're a man. Because you've got character. You ought to be counted on. We ought to be able to count on you. Your wife and children ought to be able to count on you. You ought to be able to control yourself and control your emotions and be a rock as much as you can. Be what you're supposed to be. Stand. Stand strong. Quit yourself. Quit you like men. Be a man about it. I'm just having a hard time. Great. You can come and have a hard time sitting in the pew just like you can sitting at home. It didn't say be a baby. It said be a man. Yeah, I have a hard time. Don't you? What's that got to do with what I got to do? I got to be in church. I got to read my Bible in the morning. I got to pray. I got to answer the phone when it rings. I got to be there for people. I got to do what I got to do regardless of how I feel. That's being a man. I don't want to go to work. I'm going to call in sick. Okay, be a baby. You know what's lying when you call in sick and you ain't sick? Just saying. Time to go to work. It's just, it quit you like a man. Be strong. Another commandment. <laughs> I realize we're not all strong all the time, and I'm not trying to beat you up. If you're having a weak moment, then have a weak moment, but snap out of it and get back to what you got to do. Be strong. And then in spite of all these real rough, real abrasive, real bold, real direct commands, look at the next one. Man, ain't that great? <laughs> He didn't say be crude and rude and crass about watching and standing strong and skinning wolves and being a man. I don't care how you feel. Do right because it's right. He said, let all things be done with charity. So all of a sudden, after this very tough message, I mean, that verse 13 is a tough mess. That's hard preaching. Straight, fast, rapid fire, rough, rude, direct, nasty Cutting through all the emotions, don't care about all the details, just do what you're supposed to do. Then he says, he softens it up in verse 14, he says, let all things be done with charity. You know what, I, I want to be strong, I want to be tough, I want to be faithful, I want to be resilient, I want to be a soldier, I want to be able to skin wolves and not worry about it one bit and feed sheep. And I want to do it, all that, all that tough stuff, with a tender heart. In other words, my prayer for myself is that God will give me the hide of an alligator. I want to have tough skin, man. But I want to have a heart of mush. I don't want to be bitter. I don't want to be mean to people and hard on them. I don't want to be pushing people to be what I want them to be, even if I'm right. Even if they need to make some changes. I don't want to be pushing people to make changes that they're not ready to make yet. I want to be charitable. Let all things be done with charity. I beseech you, brethren, you know the house of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. What a, what a thing to say about somebody. If you're an addict, you're hopelessly given to something. You ever meet a drug addict? They're hopelessly given to it. It's so sad. You ever meet somebody addicted to alcohol? I'm talking bad. I'm talking when they get to the point where you smell it through their skin even when they're not drinking it. 
as day later, 24 hours later, man, I know some guys literally drink so much that their skin chronically smells. As sober as they ever get. I remember the one guy, man, he come in here all the time. Pressure, pressure. Like, he looked like he's 20 years older than me and he's my age. I mean, and just, just smell him three feet away. Man, that's horrible. That's so sad. It rips my guts out. I hate to see it. It's, it's heartbreaking. It's addiction. Verse 15 is the way to get addicted. Hopelessly stuck on ministering. <laughs> I'm not going to church tonight. Any of you ever do that? Oh, I think we're just going to stay home tonight. And then you're like, oh, no, we've got to go. <laughs> we, were on, we were on vacation last week. There's a hurricane coming. We had every excuse in the book. Sophie broke her finger. I stubbed my toe. We can watch our church on live. We're going to virtually go to Bible believers because we miss our church family. Guess what we did? We went to church. You know why? We're hopelessly addicted. <laughs> I'm not doing that again. I'm not drinking anymore. I'm done. The next day, you understand what I'm saying? It's an addiction. You understand what I'm saying? You know what I want to get addicted to now? You know what I want to be addicted to the rest of my life? I want to be addicted to ministry. I want to be addicted to answering that phone like, oh, no, you need a break. Uh, I, I can't help it. <laughs> Preacher, can I talk to you? Sure. Why? Because I'm an addict. It's time to preach again. Got to get another message ready. Oh, I don't feel like it, but I can't help it. There I am in my office. Open up the passage. Look at it. I see what's in this thing. Where is it at, Lord? Please break this thing open to me. I got writer's block and I don't feel like it, but I can't stop. I want to be addicted to the right things. What a great testimony, man. What a good bunch of people. And Paul, Paul puts it in the Bible, man. I mean, just, who are these people? They're not big preachers. They're not big apostles. They're not setting you know, big revivals breaking out all over the place. They're just people in the church that were addicted to the ministry. <laughs> and they make, they make it into the Word of God. Isn't that wild? Verse 16, that you submit yourselves unto such and to everyone that helpeth with us and laboreth. Can you imagine a church that submits themselves to each other? The problem with most churches is too much infighting, too much competition, too much cliques and clubs, and you're in the group and you're not in the group, and, well, we're, we're a little tight-knit clique. Hey, listen, listen to me. I want to be careful. Your best friends should be in this room. That's great. You should get together. And there's some people you will hit it off with more than other people, and that's okay. Well, how come they're so close, but they're not close to me? Well, because you're... You look like you've been sucking on lemon juice all day, okay? <laughs> I'm not saying that, you know, you can't have best friends or people you get along with at church or people you're closer to at church. I'm saying that you should never get a cliquish spirit. Right. We should all accept one another. Submitting ourselves one to another is when I really believe that you're better than I am. You're more important than me. You mean more than I mean. I'm here for you. Your desire, your will is better than mine. It's more important. I'm willing to submit myself to the other people. Can you imagine a church like that? Man, what a great place to be. I think a big part of why you like this church, is I, I'm assuming I'm taking it for granted you do because you're here and nobody made you come. So you know why you like it? Because we don't have a bunch of that garbage. And I don't want to start. I don't want to start next Sunday if somebody walks in that I don't like. 
Somebody walks in that doesn't agree with me on everything. Oh, I'm a pastor. They don't agree with me. It ain't going to work out. They don't have to agree with me on everything. Just don't be a knucklehead. I almost used another phrase, but I caught myself. Don't be a knucklehead. Why? Well, if you're not going to be a knucklehead, then you don't have to like or agree with everything. That's all right. You have a right to have your own opinion. This ain't a cult. But don't tear up the spirit of the place. Submit one to another. I'm glad of the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaeus, for that which was lacking on your part they have supplied. See what I said? God always fills the holes. For they have refreshed my spirit and yours, therefore acknowledge ye them that are such. I know what that feels like. I was driving in this morning and I passed Milford Road and somebody was sitting at the light to turn left. And uh, I saw the family sitting in the car and it just like that. It felt like a cool drink of water. Oh, there's so-and-so. I knew they had a rough week and I wasn't sure if they were going to be here or not. And there they were, they're coming. Knowing that they had a rough week and not sure whether or not they were going to be here. To see them just coming refreshed my spirit. Man, what a blessing. See, you just don't know what God's doing sometimes, folks. You don't know how God's using you. You don't know. You're just doing your thing and being faithful and watching and standing fast and just doing what we're supposed to do. And God's doing stuff that you might not even know how big it is. That God's doing. You might not even know how bad somebody needs to be refreshed. And you refreshed them. And God used you to get them a little farther down the road. Because this thing is, this thing is supernatural. Verse 19. The churches of Asia salute you. Aquila and Priscilla salute you much in the Lord with the church that is in their house. Notice that. So that shows you right there. There's a great verse that shows you that the church is not a building. It's the people. Verse 20, all the brethren greet you, greet you one another with a holy kiss. Now, you're not Oriental, so please don't kiss me. <laughs> all right? Uh, Grace, she can kiss me when she gets back, um, but outside of that, we're good. All right, okay? My daughters kiss me on the cheek, I kiss them on the cheek, but that's about it, right? Uh, I've been in churches where they do this, but they have a different culture than we have. Church full of Italians, and they just, mwah, mwah, and it's like, oh, my word, I mean... One guy was a, was a knee-breaker for the mafia before he got saved. I mean, a monster. Brother Reagan! Mwah, mwah. I'm like... Wanted to headbutt him, but I was scared of him, and I didn't dare say anything because he might kill me. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, uh, it's awkward. It's a cultural thing. I'm playing. You understand? I'm playing. It's a cultural thing. And uh, that's fine for them to do, but, you know, let's just kind of keep our culture. Greet you one another with a holy handshake or whatever, you know? <laughs> The salutation to me, Paul, with mine own hands. So Paul's telling you the salutation portion I wrote myself. Paul didn't do the writing. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Somebody else was penning down what Paul would speak. More than likely, he didn't do the writing because of his eye issues. If any man love the Lord Jesus Christ, let love not, excuse me, love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema maranatha. Uh, that means cursed until Christ comes, or cursed at the coming of Christ. So if they don't love the Lord, leave them alone. The Lord will deal with them. But if they don't love Jesus Christ, that's what we're here for. You ought to love the Lord. You ought to put Him first. That ought to be why you come to church. Look at verse 23. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Now, he finishes off on a pretty soft tone. He doesn't show a lot of love throughout this book. 
He gave them pretty hard talking. He tore them up about things they were putting up with. He lit into them pretty bad. He dealt with every subject from their morality to the way they treated one another to their carnality to their money. He just blasts it all to their authority problems. He just tears them to shreds. And then he ends it by saying, My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. You know what the moral of that story is? Somebody really loves you, they tell you the truth. You live in a day and age where it's like, hey, he shouldn't have talked to me like that. Well, my parents talk to me like that. Yeah, because they love you. I almost called you a name, but I'm trying to get better about that. Brother Peacock told us we've got to stop calling people idiots and morons. This is what he did. We, we're, it's just how we talk. So my daughter asked him, she said, well, does that apply to our family? Because we're having a hard time communicating. <laughs> His response was, absolutely. <laughs> but you are being a knucklehead if you get all jacked up at your mom and dad for getting on you. That's proof they love you. It's easier not to mess with you. It's easier to just go in the room and turn on the TV and ignore you. That's what a lot of parents do is they ignore their kids because it's easier. Well, when you got parents that get in your face, they love you. When they tell you what you need to hear, it's because they love you. That's true love. And when you got a pastor that'll do the same, it's because he loves you. And a God that does the same, it's because he loves you. And a Bible that does the same is because they love you. And that's real love. Real love says, I don't care if you get sideways to me or give me a hard time. I'm going to tell you what you need to hear because I care about your future. And I'm going to tell you what you need to hear. Now, don't be a knucklehead. Turn it around. Get it right. And this church did. And in 2 Corinthians, he goes into it. Now, notice your subscript there. The first epistle to the Corinthians was written from Philippi by Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaeus and Timotheus. So Paul said the salutation by my own hand, but he had four guys helping him as he was writing this thing. He'd dictate it to them and they'd write it down. And so he had helpers there because his eyes were bad and he couldn't see. And he wraps it up with the grace of Jesus Christ. And hey, by the way, I do love you all. And what a blessing. All right, that finishes up 1 Corinthians. We'll go ahead and pray and be dismissed.